This is Women of Grace Live, discussing issues important to your life and faith. Spiritual insight, practical wisdom. Join us as we transform the world one woman at a time. Women of Grace, for such a time as this. Now, here's your host, Johnette Williams. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Women of Grace Live. I am Johnette Williams. So very happy to be with you today. We love to spend this time with you. We do Monday through Friday as we discuss issues of importance to your life and your faith. All kinds of wonderful ways in which the Lord wants to manifest Himself to us through the everyday situations and circumstances that we experience in life. Through all of those joyful moments and all of those sorrowful moments as well, we find our Lord with us when we search for him. Sometimes we fail to do that part. We fail to search for him. But Jesus says, you know, Father God says, uh, you know, look for him, seek him, and he will we will find him with us and we will find our comfort and our solace and our uh, consolation in and through his holy presence always with us. One of the ways in which we experience him, I believe, is through the airwaves. We use these airwaves for his honor and his glory. And so very frequently as we come together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we discover that the Lord has something that he wants to reveal to us, show us uh, through each other. And so we appreciate the fact that you share this time with us Monday through Friday. Generally speaking, I ask you to call in, but today's one of those days when we are going to dip into some of the uh, calls that have been left for us on our comment line. You are always welcome to leave a question or a comment there. We will retrieve it and address it on a day just like this. That number is very easy to remember because after 4 p.m. Eastern time, the number that you use as the call-in number becomes the comment line. And you can call 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986 and leave your question or comment there and uh, we will get it. And as I say, on a day like this, we'll address it and see what we can do to uh, help to resolve an issue that you might have or uh, solve a problem for you or to communicate truth of the faith. So we always do invite you to use that line, A33288EWTN. I also like to remind you to go out there to our website, womenofgrace.com. We've got all kinds of good things available for you there. We're always about something and we're always doing something. We've got book studies. We have uh, online retreats and events. We have uh, webinars on a variety of different topics. In addition to all of that, we have uh, in-person events and we keep you uh, aware of those. We have our online studies available for you. Those studies are our foundational studies and some of the other studies that we have specifically for you as the Daughters of the Most High God. So I invite you to go out there and to check it out. Uh, You know, here we are. We are in this beautiful season of the year uh, when we are opening ourselves ever more greatly to the wonders that God wants to work in us and through us. And it reminds me of the fact that, you know, God is never about thinking to do something. He is always in the process of doing it. He is always acting. And I mentioned just a little bit earlier on that when we search for God, we find that he is indeed with us. He is always acting in our lives. There is always a special grace that he's bringing to us, a special charism. There's always a fruit of the Holy Spirit that he wants for us to know. Uh, There is always, you know, an entry more deeply into the mysteries of the life of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and into the beautiful mysteries that are ours through the sacraments of the church. And as I did say earlier on, we have to avail ourselves of these opportunities. 
Too often, uh, you know, we are not uh, calibrating our eyes to look for the Word of God made flesh among us. Uh, we have to be about that business. And the best way that I know of how to do that is to make certain that we begin our day with prayer. Uh, you know, I know that we have very, very busy lives, and oftentimes that alarm goes on off and our feet hit the floor and we are off and running. And we've barely nodded to the Lord. We've not made a morning offering, or if we do, oh my goodness, it's one that's made very hurriedly. And I really want to suggest to you that you strive to incorporate at least 10 minutes in the morning for the Lord, at least 10 minutes in the morning. Uh, Certainly, it would be great if you could allot more time, and I'm hoping that through the course of the day, you find additional moments to spend with the Lord. But we should give Him the first fruits of our day. And even before we jump out of bed, it would be a good idea to make a morning offering. Uh, I think that that is is just the tone uh, that sets uh, the whole day in a, in a direction that helps for us to mine the treasuries of grace that God has in mind for us. And, you know, coming before the Lord in the morning and offering him our day, offering him ourselves, asking him to use us in some way through the course of the day, and asking him to help us to see him, to see him with the eyes of our soul, to see him with the eyes of faith, to, to notice him in the interactions of our day, to be able to hear his voice coming to us through, uh, you know, a conversation that we have with someone or something that we read through the course of the day, or, you know, just uh, one of those moments when we're captivated by something that we see, such as, you know, a butterfly, you know, flying near a flower, or we look up at the sky and and and, and we see the, the beauty and the wonder of, of uh, the cloud formations, you know, all of this can be ways that the Lord is revealing himself to us, little special moments through the course of the day. And I can tell you that when we start our day off that way, we, we discover we discover that we are not alone, that we're not abandoned, that we're not forsaken, that we're not isolated, that we're not alienated, but rather that God is with us and he's leading us in the direction in which we should go. You know, everything is grace. This is what the uh, great saints tell us, that everything is grace. And are we finding, are we finding, that grace in the ordinary experiences of our daily life? Are we finding that grace as we hustle and bustle to get the children ready for school, or as it is that we are preparing ourselves to go into our workplace, even as we go into the workplace and greet those individuals who are there uh, working alongside of us? You know, are, are we? Are we looking for that manifestation of grace? Are we seeing that everything is grace in that moment? I'm sincerely hoping so. Uh, this is what we call supernatural vision. This is what we call uh, this capacity uh, to see the world through spiritual eyes. It's the gift of wisdom. It's seeing the world according to the mind and the heart of God. Um, And it becomes a very exciting adventure. All too often, you know, we're looking for ways in which we can, uh, you know, uh, experience some type of, 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 um, what do I want to say, sensational thing. Uh, But what we don't understand is that the ways of the Lord are always sensational. They're always miraculous. They catch us by surprise. They call forth from us every emotion. Uh, They reach the depths of our soul and vitalize, uh, invigorate something within us that causes us to live more fully. And this is what Jesus wants. He wants for us to live that abundant life. He came to bring us that. He tells us that in John 10.10, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And so we have to aim higher. We have to aim higher in our day. Uh, we have to aim higher uh, in, in the perspective that we hold, uh, in, in asking God for the grace to see. We have to aim higher in the way in which we cooperate with that grace. 
We have to aim higher in the way in which we begin our day and the way in which we take little moments throughout the course of the day to remind ourselves that, yes, I'm looking for the Lord. How did I see him in these morning hours? How do I, how do I prepare myself to see him in these afternoon hours? And then at the course of the day, how have I seen him through the whole of my day? And how is it that he wants to be with me even as I sleep? You know, the Lord never sleeps. And even while you're sleeping, the Holy Spirit can be at work in you. And as we close our eyes, that should be the last thing we breathe. Oh, Holy Spirit, soul of my soul, I adore thee. Be with me through the course of this evening and all of the ways in which God has manifested himself to me through the course of the day. I codify these within me. I make them uh, t- take up room within me. And, and, and through the, the intuition of my soul, begin to reveal these mysteries to me. What a beautiful way to start our day. When we come back, we're going to that listener comment line. We're going to take some of your questions. So stay with us. You are listening to Women of Grace Live. I'm Johnette Williams, and it is a mailbag. Comment call day. Stay with us. Welcome back, friends. You're listening to Women of Grace Live. I'm Johnette Williams. So happy to be with you today. This is one of those days when we dip into our mailbag. It's one of those days when we go into uh, the calls that have been left for us on our comment line and address them. And I am looking forward to seeing what it is that you've left for us to discover along the way today. And as we were talking about earlier in the day, you know, right before we went to the break, God is with us in the moments of our day. He is always revealing himself to us. And how is he revealing himself? to you today. Well, maybe you'll hear it as we take some of these calls that have been left for us. So let's go for them, Jeff. Who's up first? I'm Eleanor. I'm from Missouri, and I have a question on account of the Catholic Church is the only church that had Jesus presented on the cross. And every other church, I don't think, has Jesus on the cross. And that's what I want to talk about. Okay, Eleanor, I wish that you were with me live and we could talk about this, but uh, let me just respond. I do think that there are some other churches that, that do have Jesus uh, on the crucifix. I think that if you go into an Anglican church, for example, or even some of the higher Episcopal churches, you might find him on the cross. But indeed, we in our Catholic faith keep Jesus on the cross. We call it a crucifix. We are reminded of his crucifixion. Why do we leave Jesus on the cross? Uh, we are a resurrection people, we say. So why is it then that the great icon of our faith is this icon of Jesus on the cross. And it is because as we look at that cross, we are reminded of God's love for us. We are reminded of John 3.16. As a matter of fact, the crucifix is a representation of John 3.16. And what is John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that everyone who believed in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. And we know that as we gaze upon the crucifix, we realize the treasure that we are to God, that God loved us so much. Yes, the totality of mankind, but each one of us individually and distinctively, God loved us so much that his son died for each one of us. This becomes a very personal message from God to us then. This is our message. This is God's love song to us that he gives his son for us. So we look on that crucifix and right away, we know who we are. In, 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 in the eyes of God, that we are worthy, that we are worthy of experiencing the, the, the full effect, the full amount 
of his love for us. And he pours it out lavishly uh, by giving us his son. And Jesus Christ, his son, pours it out lavishly through his crucifixion. So that is one reason why we keep Jesus on the cross as, as, a, uh, as a reminder, if you will, uh, of, of God's great love for us. So any da- time, Eleanor, where you are feeling that you are bereft of the presence of God, any time that you feel that God has forsaken you, any time that you feel abandoned by him, you look at that crucifix and it will be a reminder to you of God's great love for you. The other thing I think that is so beautiful about the crucifix, and you know, we are encouraged uh, by all of the great saints to meditate upon the passion of Christ. And when we meditate upon the passion of Christ in front of a crucifix, that passion can become very real to us. It comes off of the page of sacred scripture and into our heart, and it writes a page in our heart of God's great love for us. And we can look at whatever our affliction is at that moment, whether it's an emotional affliction, a psychological affliction, a spiritual affliction, whether it's a physical affliction, and we can look upon that crucifix and we can see that Jesus merited every grace that we need for that affliction, because there is no affliction known to man that Jesus did not suffer as he hung on that cross. He felt abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the ridicule and the mockery and the betrayal of others as he hung there. He felt all of the physical pains and suffering that anybody could could experience uh, through the way in which he he was he was tortured the way in which he was beaten uh, we we can look at at Jesus psychology uh, you know this 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 great eruption of, of of the of of the soul from the body in that moment of of his crucifixion we can find every disability every uh, every uh, you know uh, kind of contradiction in our life attached to that cross. And so it becomes for us not only a reminder of God's love for us, but it becomes for us a means of hope in the midst of our affliction that we can ask our Lord to send down to us in this moment uh, into, into the very affliction that we're suffering, that redemptive grace that he won for us on Calvary's hill. And so this crucifix becomes for us, you know, a, a, a what do I want to say? It becomes something that's living in us because this redemptive grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is not something that happened and and remained in time. It's always available to us. We experience that most profoundly through the sacraments of the church, most profoundly through the holy sacrifice of the mass, but we experience it as well uh, when we look at that crucifix and ask our Lord to release that redemptive grace into us that we most need at that given moment. In addition to all of that. It helps for us to identify ourselves with our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to to understand and to experience the reality of what St. Paul writes to us in Colossians 1 and verse 24, where he says, I make up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. We look at that suffering corpus on that cross, and we look at the suffering in our own life, and we realize that in in a unique, holy, mysterious way, in a way that confounds our intellect, but certainly speaks to our soul. We are joined into that suffering of our Lord, that Jesus is suffering in us right now through whatever affliction that we have, and that we are joined with him on that cross, and that our own suffering can become a means of grace, redemptive life, in the life of someone else. And so we are called to unite our sufferings to that cross. So 
we as Catholics are very blessed that we have this great icon of our faith that speaks to us in so many ways, this crucifix. And I'm glad that we leave Jesus on the cross. And I think that if we had Jesus on the cross displayed in every church, uh, we would find a a greater, uh, deeper relationship with him that has an impact on our world today. And let me tell you, this world certainly needs the impact of the crucifixion, the impact of redemptive grace on the world today. So Eleanor, I thank you for your question. It was a great question and one that I have enjoyed and uh, have really benefited by answering. So thank you for it. All right. Hi, it's Marianne. I'm calling from the Jersey Shore. And for those people who don't believe that it is the true body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ is found in the Eucharist, um, perhaps they can look up the miracle of Lanciano and some other miracles that have proven that it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. You have a wonderful day, and God bless. Well, thank you, Marianne, uh, for calling in and sharing with us about that beautiful Eucharistic miracle. The fact of the matter is we have many Eucharistic miracles. Uh, there's one in Santarim uh, in, in Portugal that, that I had the, the blessed privilege of witnessing myself. Uh, many, many Eucharistic miracles have dotted the history of the church and continue to dot the history of the church. But I'm reminded of an adage, uh, and I don't really know who said this, was a saint, I'm thinking, but I don't know. And it said, for he who believes, no proof is necessary. For he who doesn't believe, no proof is enough. And this is the sad reality. Uh, How many Catholics today receive our Lord body, blood, soul, and divinity at Holy Communion, but do not believe that they are receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and how this must suffer the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ, and how it must suffer the heart of our Blessed Lady. And you know, what we're called to do is to make up for that lack. We are called to receive ever more reverently. We're called to receive ever more devotedly. And, and we're called to sit before the Eucharistic presence of our Lord, uh, exposed in the Blessed Sacrament to make reparation for all of those who receive unworthily. And I am looking around my desk here, trying to find a Bible quick at hand, uh, to read to you from uh, Corinthians, where St. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he tells them that he who eats of the bread and drinks of the cup unworthily worthily eats and drinks a judgment on himself. And he goes on to say that one of the reasons why people are so sick and infirm and even die is because they are receiving the body and blood unworthily. We don't want to be those people. And in our own way, uh, in union with um, our, uh, you know, the, the truths of the faith, we want to console the heart of Jesus for all of those who do receive unworthily. And uh, we are we are called to do that. Uh, a beautiful uh, way in which we can do that is through the first Friday devotion, through the first Saturday devotion, uh, to to slake to slake the sorrow of the heart of Mary, to slake the sorrow of the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ for all of those who profane the Eucharistic presence of our Lord. And make no mistake about it, if we do not believe we are receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we deny this truth, uh, we are we are standing in a, in, in a sacrilegious way, uh, and we are are uh, making if you will, uh, difficulties, not just for ourselves, but for the whole world. We have no idea. We have no idea 
of how it is that God wants to bring uh, the, 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 the graces that are necessary for our lives and the graces necessary for the lives of others through his Eucharistic presence. And so uh, we're called to this reparation. But I thank you for that, that, that beautiful Eucharistic miracle of Lanciano. I would encourage all of you to look it up. It's a beautiful story uh, about a priest who uh, was, was plagued by doubts that, that when he pronounced the words of consecration, that, that the miracle of transubstantiation was actually taking place that the that the bread and the wine was being confected uh, you know uh, substantially changed into the body blood soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ transubstantiation the substance is changed there's a trans there's a movement it's changed that's what that means the miracle of transubstantiation um, and and he was plagued by these doubts and there he was and and at the moment of the Eucharist as he held up uh, the, the the precious body of our Lord, the, the host began to bleed, and and all of the people in the congregation witnessed this, and then he himself witnessed it, and his his faith was restored. Blessed are you who have not seen and yet believe, right? Uh, so you are called to believe, and as I say throughout the history of the church, many, many Eucharistic miracles. So we praise and thank God for his generosity towards us, and we pray for all of those who continue to stand um, in opposition to the great miracle that takes place. And if we receive not believing, we are standing in opposition to the great miracle. And oh my goodness, how that must hurt uh, the heart of our Lord and our Lady uh, and, and Father God and the Holy Spirit and all of heaven. So we don't want to be those people. Uh, thank you for your call. I appreciate it, Marianne there from the Jersey Shore. Uh, who else do we have there, Jeff? Hi, my name is Elizabeth, and I was wondering, uh, I went to confession uh, with a priest who would not give me absolution because I was, at the time, living with my boyfriend, and that was living in sin. And I went to my my regular parish priest because I knew that he would probably give me absolution, and he did. And I asked him why he did, and the other priest did not. And he said he just sees people on a path to God, and we take different paths to God, and every time we um, go to confession, receive communion, we get closer and closer to God. So it's part of our path, and so that's why he believes that he could still give me absolution. So what do you think about that? Who's right, who's wrong, or is it that clear-cut? And I'm from San Antonio, Texas. Thank you. Well, Elizabeth from San Antonio, Texas, I think I've answered your question before, but we're going to answer it yet again. And I think that the reason why this question, your question, keeps coming up is because this is such a a common situation today. Uh, And I just just want to, to encourage you to pray for your priest. And I want to encourage all of you to pray for our priests. Um, this is what I want to say to you. This is a very clear-cut question. And as much as your pastor or this priest who spoke with you uh, wanted to try to um, encourage you, the fact of the matter is he's giving you false information. Um, there is mortal sin is mortal sin is mortal sin. And mortal sin is never going to lead us to God. <laughs> mortal sin in and of itself uh, it, it kills the life of God within us. And so if you go to the sacrament of reconciliation and you have committed a mortal sin and you are not sincerely sorry for that sin, if you don't 
repent of that sin. If you have no firm purpose of amendment, that sin is not forgiven no matter what it is that the priest says. Because we have conditions for receiving that absolution, that 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 beautiful gift um, wherein the priest, in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, is absolving us of our sin. And one of those conditions is repentance. Another one of those conditions is a firm purpose of amendment. So if you go to confession and you confess the sin and you intend to remain in a sinful relationship with your boyfriend, that sin is not forgiven. We also have an obligation to avoid the near occasion of sin. And that is also something that we pray in that act of contrition. And if you remain in the household with this man uh, with whom you have had an illicit relationship um, and you have no intentions of moving out, you are not avoiding the near occasion of sin. So you are not satisfying the requirements to repent, to receive that mercy of God. So, you know, the priest can go through the motions, but, but you know, the motions are not guaranteeing that anything's happening there. And it troubles me even more that the priest knows that that's the situation and, and does not give you good counsel. And the good counsel is that you have to get out of that relationship. You have to change that relationship. You, you have to move out or have this gentleman move out. Uh, and, and if you determine that you want to spend the rest of your life together, you got to get married in the church after you have truly, sincerely repented of your sin. I don't know if you're really sorry for your sin or not. I can't gauge that. But if nothing changes, no one would suspect that there's any reason to believe that your heart has changed. So, you know, I'm not judging you. I'm just putting out the conditions there for you. Uh, and I think that we have to pray for our priests because, you know, the, 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 the zeitgeist of the day, the spirit of the age, you know, has convoluted the minds of, of many good people. And we need priests who are strong. We need priests who are loving, but we need priests who speak the truth and speak it in love and speak it with strength and speak it with conviction. Um, it, it doesn't do you any good, you know, to remain in your sin. And, and, you know, I think that the reason why you shopped the priest is because, you know, you, you weren't getting what you wanted and you shopped until you got a priest that gave you what you wanted. I mean, that's not sincerity of heart, is it? I mean, I just have to ask the question, you know, and, and I know people who shop priests and, you know, you can fool the priest, but you're not going to fool God. The Holy Spirit knows. And you do too. Um, and so, you know, I thank you for your call because you give me opportunity to talk about something that I think is really important to talk about. And listen, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Let's just put it right out there, you know. Many, many, many have fallen short of the glory of God. It says in sacred scripture, even the just man sins seven times a day. When we, judge, uh, when we sin gravely, when we sin gravely, we seek the sacrament. We repent of the sin, which means we turn our back on the sin. We walk in the way of the Lord, which means that we have a firm purpose of amendment. And we avoid the near occasion of sin that we don't trip up again. So there you have it. Well, we're going to a break. When we come back, more of your questions. On the other side, you're listening to Women of Grace Live. I'm Johnette Williams. Today is one of the days where we dip into those calls that you leave for us. I invite you to leave a call. After 4 p.m., you can use the very same number that you use to call in when we're taking calls. 833-288-3986. That's 833-288-EWTN. Coming right back. Stay with us.
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Women of Grace Live. I am Janet Williams. Delighted to be with you today. We are not taking phone calls today. Rather, we are going into the calls that you have left for us on our comment line. I encourage you to use that line. If you use it after four o'clock in the afternoon, it's the same number as our call-in line. It is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Don't use it right now because I'm not going to take your call right now. I'm taking the calls that have been left for us there. So um, I always like to get to these when we can. So Jeff, let's uh, get to the next caller. This is in Fort Wayne, Indiana. My mom died at 99, but she wasn't actually dying. She decided she'd had enough. She was in extreme pain. And my way of looking, she committed suicide. She stopped eating and drinking. And 12 days later, she passed away. It was an awful thing. And I feel like she made me complicit in her suicide. I'm wondering how the church and how God looks at this. Thank you. Um, I I think you said your name was Lucy uh, there in Fort Wayne, and I'm going to use that name. And if it's the wrong name, I apologize for that. But what a difficult situation for you, Lucy, uh, to watch your mother gradually fade away like that. Um, you know, here's the thing of it. Uh, you know, when the elderly reach a certain age, uh, they can, in their hearts, make a decision that they've lived long enough. And it is not uncommon for people uh, in, in that age range to to stop eating, to stop drinking. Whether or not we would consider that to be suicide is another question. Um, Sometimes it comes from a certain depression that sets in or a certain sense of uselessness, uh, a certain sense of being unable to face yet another day, a weariness of the heart, so to speak. And I don't know that the church would judge that to be someone taking their own life or someone just coming to the end of their life and making a decision, this is the end of my life and I'm going to give way to that. We often find that when you have a husband and a wife that have lived together for many, many years and one of the spouses die, the other one dies very quickly of a broken heart, but it oftentimes is symptomatically expressed by a lack of appetite a lack of desire to eat, a lack of desire to drink. Um, I wouldn't want you to feel, you know, overly uh, guilty in some way for this, because if this is a decision that your mom made and if she felt like she had come to the end, um, then this isn't something that you could have affected in any way. Our church used to have a very harsh perspective towards suicide, And used to say that if someone committed suicide, they were damned to hell. But here's the fact of the matter. This was before we really understood the psychology of man. It was before we truly understood some of the emotional and psychological uh, debilitations that uh, can afflict a human person. And so the church today takes a, a, a much more pastoral view of this realizing that somebody's free will is often compromised by circumstances and situations that have led them to um, a depletion of emotional capacity and psychological integrity. And so the church says that 
you know, we, we, we look to the mercy of God who knows all things. Remember that in order for a grave sin to be committed, we have to know that it's a sin and we have to engage in that sin with the full faculty of our free will. And in the case of someone quite elderly who is riddled with pain, um, you know, we, we might say that this is, is a psychological and emotional um, debilitation to be able to go forward. Um, and, and the church understands that. The fact of the matter is, <clears throat> we're all going to die. Um, and, and let me give you another example. If somebody is suffering from a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a fatal disease, let's suppose that it's a grave cancer, uh, the person can make a decision to no longer subscribe to treatment. And there's no sin in that. If they've tried so many means, there is no, there is no obligation of that person to continue to try um, additional means or extraordinary means. The church says that when the, when the, when the um, benefit um, is mitigated by the, 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 the when the, the potential benefit is, is, um, is impacted by uh, the, the great weight of that which that uh, type of treatment could possibly procure for the person, the person is not under an obligation to continue to move forward like that. Uh, what was your mother's debility? I don't know what was causing the pain. You don't tell us. But maybe it was simply old age. Maybe it was simply old age. Uh, and so I wouldn't want you to to feel that, that you were complicit in helping her kill herself. And I wouldn't even want to say that, this was something that she did. It just might be that like someone who has a, a terminal illness, <laughs> we all know that our life is terminal. And once you reach a certain age and you're in a great deal of pain, uh, maybe your desire for eternal life is far greater than your desire for this life. And I would say that that's almost a natural progression. So that that would be my response to, to your situation there. And I, I hope that brings you some kind of um, comfort to your heart. Thank you for your call. Hi, my name is Joelle. I actually live in Kingman, Arizona. I'm driving through Texas and heard your radio station. So my question for you is, I have a, a, a dear friend. We've been friends for many, many years. Several years ago, um, he had a substance abuse problem, and he sexually assaulted me while I was sleeping. That four years later, he is clean, doing well, uh, very regretful for the things that he did um, and wants to start a relationship now. I'm just asking, is it possible to heal from that kind of trauma in a relationship? Or is it something that I'm always going to hold on to for the rest of my life? Thanks for taking my call. Have a nice day. Stay blessed. Well, Joelle, thank you for your call. This is quite a difficult situation. Um, let's talk to the last part of your, your question there. Uh, is this a wound that you will hang on to for the rest of your life? Well, we know that some wounds are so very, very deep that it takes a lifetime for the process of healing to move forward to any great degree. Uh, the fact of the matter is that 
if the wound is not healed in this life, it will be healed in the next life and it will be healed in purgatory because we are not going to be able to enter heaven with any wounds of the heart. Those wounds have got to be uh, expunged through the mercy of God. Um, We can cooperate with that effort, however, in this life uh, by allowing ourselves to enter into this process of healing that God wants to bring to us. And it is a painful process often because we've got to go back into that pain for that pain to be healed. We might think of a wound, you know, uh, in our body, Uh, that, uh, you know, has formed a scab, but there's a big infection underneath it. Well, we've got to break that open again to clean that infection out so that it can heal properly. And it's very similar with these great deep wounds of the heart. And oftentimes we will thwart our own effort um, and God's work uh, that will bring us to healing because we don't want to face that pain again. God is a gentle God, and he'll go as deeply as we let him go. Uh, And sometimes he knows how deep he can go, and then, you know, there's a process where we plateau for a while, and then we can go back deeper. Um, I do know that God wants to heal you of this wound. I can say that with assurance because he wants to heal us all of our wounds of the heart. Uh, We have to cooperate with the grace for that to happen. Um, I would encourage you to be with us in Malvern, Pennsylvania this summer. Go out to our website. In July of this year, uh, we are going to have an entire retreat weekend on on healing the wounds of the heart. We're going to go deep with this. So this might be a good opportunity for you if you haven't really worked on this or if you've worked on this and know you still need healing. Whether or not you should enter back into a relationship with this individual, I I think... um, really requires a lot of discernment and a lot of prayer. Um, I think that even if you've forgiven him, and that has to be a major step, as a matter of fact, that, that all of healing is to, is to lead us to that, to that point. You know, we, we need to forgive. If we don't forgive the person who has wounded us, uh, no matter how severely we've been wounded, if we don't forgive, that wound is never going to heal. So you have to be brought to that point, and it's through God's grace and God's grace alone that we are healed, though Jesus gives us indications of how it is that we can move forward in that process toward forgiveness of the person who has compromised us in some way. One of the ways is to pray for that person. Um, we just don't have enough time to get into all of the details of that. But the fact of the matter is um, there are ways that, that that we can cooperate with that grace to bring us to that ultimate goal. Um But as to whether or not entering back into a relationship with this person would be something that would help us to um, be healed and to maintain the healing is a whole other question. Um, I know individuals who have been sexually molested and they could never agree to have a very deep relationship with that person again because it would only revitalize that wound of the heart. Um, that area of reconciliation has got to be carefully thought through, and it depends upon if this is a biological connection or not. There's just a lot of factors that go into that. I would think it unwise to quickly move in that direction for your sake and also for the sake of this individual. Um, also for the sake of this individual. So, you know, it has to be carefully discerned. I I would suggest that you speak with the priest. I would suggest that you seek some good spiritual counseling, perhaps as well as some some, uh, emotional counseling too. 
uh, through a therapist, a Catholic therapist. So that would be my suggestion to you, and I hope that that helps you, Joelle. Thank you for your call. My name is Angela, and I am in Olympia, Washington. And my question is, um, how do I address uh, my fiancé's children? They're grown. Um, his daughter's 21, and his son is 25. Um, they are bisexual. And his daughter is currently in a serious relationship, which I am looking for, forward, thinking that they are going to get married. I I don't know how to approach that situation um, because I don't want to look like evil stepmother uh, to not stand by my husband, like to be my future husband, um, at her wedding day. I just I don't. I pray for her every day. I pray for her conversion, and I just don't know how to deal with that situation. Thank you. Angela, I'm so sorry that you're experiencing such a great cross right now. And let me say that you're not alone. Uh, We do receive phone calls from individuals that are in similar situations. And I guess what I would encourage you to do um, in this situation is to ask yourself this question. If this were your biological daughter, how would you approach the situation? Um, Here's the fact of the matter. Uh, Obviously, you don't want to alienate these young adults. Uh, by the same token, uh, as a mother, even as a mother who is a mother by way of marriage, as a mother, your desire needs to be for the best interest of that individual, of that stepson or that stepdaughter. And the ultimate best for that person is eternal salvation, is eternal life. And so I would encourage you to consider the fact that perhaps God's brought you into this situation because you are the one who will stand strong in it and will speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. And the way in which you are viewed by them um, is the way in which they're going to choose to view you. If your intention is holy, your intention is honorable, your intention is for the best interest of, of that child, that young adult, then you have to move forward in truth. You can't stand by idly and permit, even if it's just an implicit permission by way of your agreeing to be a part of the ceremony, um, you, you, you cannot uh, permit yourself t- to be placed in that situation. So it's hard. This is a very hard thing. Um, and you have to be willing uh, to, you know, unite to the sufferings of, of our Lord, your own suffering in this. He was reviled, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was misunderstood, and you might experience all of that. But you have to be willing to enter into that part of our Lord's own passion for the sake of truth, for the sake of this person's eternal life. And, you know, if your fiancé does not understand this, then I would have to ask you to uh, consider who is most important to you and what is most important to you your relationship with our Lord or your relationship with this person. 
It's a tough thing. No one ever said it was going to be easy to walk with our Lord and to be his sign and his witness, a sign of contradiction in the world in which we live. But he says, pick up your cross and follow after me. And he promises that the burden will be made light because he'll carry the burden with us and the grace will be there. Um, I know it's hard and I know it's difficult for you because I could hear your your voice cracking there at the end of the call. And, and um, you know, I feel a deep sense of compassion for you, but the compassion has got to be oriented towards this individual who is very confused and obviously needs some help and counseling with regard to um, the decisions that she's making and the way in which she views herself. Uh, God does not create people bisexual. So there's a reason why that's the way it is. And um, we do a great injustice when we deprive people of the opportunity to seek the help and guidance that they need for that. And we as a culture are going to be held accountable by God uh, in that we are not standing beside these people in the midst of their affliction and helping them to resolve their issues. So that, that's, my, that's my answer uh, for you, Angela. God bless you, dear. I'll tell you what I will do. I will tuck you into my rosary. I will be praying for you and be praying for this situation. That much I can do for you. Okay. Hi, my name is Melanie from San Antonio, Texas. I was wondering, so because Mary was born without original sin, uh, giving birth to Jesus was not painful for her. So I was wondering why um, when uh, females get baptized, uh, and thus are rid of original sin, why uh, childbirth is still painful for them later on in life. Well, thank you. I I really appreciate your question, Melanie. So um, I just want to clarify a few things. Mary was born without original sin because Mary was preserved from original sin at the moment of her conception. Uh, Mary is singular in that regard. She's not the only one who was born without original sin, however. (laughs) So let's talk about that for just a moment. So Mary was conceived without the stain of original sin, all right? So obviously she was born without sin. Uh, We know that St. John the Baptist was also born without original sin, though not conceived without original sin. And his original sin uh, was forgiven at the moment uh, of the visitation of our Blessed Lady when he leapt in the womb of his mother, which was an ascent. It was both an ascent and an ascent, an A-S-C-E-N-T. He leaped, right? He ascended, he leaped, but it was also an ascent, A-S-S-E-N-T. It was his yes to our Lord. And so he received salvation at that moment. So he was born without sin. Naturally, our Lord Jesus Christ was born without sin because he too was conceived without sin since there was no uh, genealogy there to pass the the sin on in that Mary was was, uh, preserved from the stain of original sin. So it it was not inherited. So with that understood and clarified, some. Let's get into your second question. So here is the thing. What does baptism do for us? Baptism removes the stain of original sin, but not the, uh, the, uh, uh, the residual effects of original sin. 
Okay, so it removes the stain, but it doesn't remove the residual effects. So original sin damages the integrity of the person, the sin, like all sin does, only of course, this is the primordial sin. So all sin damages the integrity of the person. We go to the sacrament of reconciliation, we are forgiven of the sin, but it doesn't mean that the damage caused by that sin, the weakness that's been caused by that sin uh, is, is now expunged as well. It is not. We have to work and cooperate with grace to overcome that weakness. Well, with original sin, it's the same way. Original sin, the stain, is forgiven through the sacramental waters of baptism, but concupiscence, which is its, which is its effect, its residual effect, is like a San Andreas fault that runs down the center of the soul, and we have to cooperate with grace to overcome that. When Eve and Adam fell in the garden, and God meted out the consequences of that sin, he made the statement to Eve that, that it would be uh, part of, 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 of that consequence was that she would bring forth her children in pain. That is one of the effects of original sin. So even though the stain is removed, the effect remains. So women continue to bring children into this world with pain and with suffering. Now, I have to say that with modern medicine, that pain is often mitigated through like an epidural, for example, or something of that nature. Uh, Back in the day, women used to be anesthetized through a general anesthesia, but that wasn't so hot for the babies. Um, So we mitigate that pain. But nonetheless, women who experience, you know, the full onslaught of, 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 of having children will experience those contractions, will go through that period of transition, and will deliver that child in a painful fashion. Um, so that is one of the residual effects of original sin, even though the stain of original sin is removed. So there you have it. I hope that that helps you to understand a little bit better uh, about that whole situation. I know that uh, many women... Um, don't look kindly on Eve, especially as they're delivering those babies. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ, who is passion, death, and resurrection, has redeemed pain and suffering. And we can offer that in union with him and uh, become a conduit of his redemptive grace in the world in the day. So uh, ladies, uh, when you're having those babies and you're experiencing those contractions and you come to that time of transition and you're delivering that baby, you know, just remember, do it. Do it in union with our Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered on that cross to bring us spiritual life. And uh, you can unite the suffering that you are experiencing in bringing physical life and spiritual life uh, through the child that you are delivering. So thank you, Melanie, for your question today. It's been great being with you. I always appreciate spending this time with you, catching up on these comment calls. I hope it's been profitable for you in your life of faith. Leave a comment for us and we'll get to it on a day just like this. Use the on-air line after 4 p.m. Eastern time. It converts over. To the comment line, it's 833-288-EWTN. We're with you Monday through Friday right here at this same time on the same station. Don't forget to get out there and take a look at our website, womenofgrace.com. Catch up on all of our upcoming events. Join us at these upcoming events because we want to be with you. Until we're together again, may the abundant life of Jesus Christ be yours. And may God richly bless you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.